I have to give a talk about sustainability today. You know, about eco-efficiency, socio-efficiency, lasting innovation. Honey? Yes? I have no idea what you just said. Welcome to Chillin' Ambitious. The podcast that points out shit you didn't know was relevant. I'm O. I'm No. And together we make Ono. Oh no. This is the Life Innovator series, and no, what's a Life Innovator? Well, a Life Innovator is a person who tailors their daily desires and lifelong passions into their everyday. Yes, and uh, they also define their success on their own terms while sustaining themselves. So, we hope they inspire you to do the same thing. I feel like they, yeah, they inspire me every day. And uh, yeah, we want to, first off. Oh yeah, first off. Thanks for coming out to our season two launch party last week. It was a super success. Um, so many cool people met so many cool people. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And um, big thanks to our people that all the people that helped out. Julie's Wasserman and Baby B LA for making those delicious cookies. Absolutely. Um, uh, TBA, TBA for hosting us. Yes. And as well as Momentum for sharing the party with us. Yes. And all the friends who helped um, some of our life innovators, including Brianna and Katrine and just everyone. So thanks. Um, Yeah. Can't wait to throw another. Absolutely. Um, You know what else we had a blast doing this season? What did we do? We got to check out and befriend some bees. Yes, we did. We did. Got some bees. They had us buzzing. (laughs) Bees are really in right now. Yeah. Beyonce. <laughs> B-Day. Bumble. I mean, hello. Um, but yeah, we went and saw some bees and we actually like, uh, we interviewed actually the, the life innovator that we are featuring today. Um, he is a beekeeper. He has his own bee business. Um, oh yeah, that's why we were there. <laughs> yeah, that's why we were there. <laughs> we interviewed Cause, him. Cause you wouldn't go there otherwise, right? <laughs> no, bees. I was actually, I faced a big fear because because um, <laughs> I'm afraid of bees because of my girl. Well, because like it was so traumatic. I still love. It. I like. I remember watching that movie over and over when I was a kid, and like I could not get over the fact that he died from the bee sting. He was going to be an acrobat. He's gone, sweetheart. He's gone. Um, <laughs> which was a long time ago, but it stuck. It was it stuck. Very yeah. traumatic. And I was traumatically stung by a bee in the. I remember like running away from a bee when I was little, and then I tripped over one of those like concrete barriers that goes like in front of a <laughs> in front of a car, so that you don't like drive too far. Anyway, I was running away from a bee, and I tripped on it, and then it stung me like right in the crease of my elbow on the inside, and I was like crying, and I hit my face and my nose was bleeding <laughs> and I was just like this is horseshit like this is absolute horseshit anyway hated bees ever since but I faced a big fear we went and saw checked out some of the beehives and I wore the nerd mask um, and Olivia did not but we like played with bees and it was amazing 
Honey. You were in step close and you didn't fall concrete face. <laughs> I did not fall down face first in the concrete, not this time. So yeah, you I feel like you you revised your memory of being around bees. Yeah, and also um, you know, learning it. learning so much more about them. They're just such fascinating creatures. Honey, honey, honey bee. How I love the gifts you bring to me. Life is sweeter after you um so the foundation of like us building this um we always came back to the idea the dirty little word of sustainability yeah that's what we don't normally talk about um and because people usually have a very narrow view of what that means um but we always ask is it sustainable to you and that's the question we're trying to answer. Um, not saying, you know, being ecologically sustainable is important and, and all that, but in your daily life, yeah. what kinds of things, like, where do you find the balance? Like, what kinds of things help you go on? Like, when do you realize you're over, you know, over, you're not doing enough of one thing that really makes you happy and overdoing something else? Um, and, you know, that's what makes people chill and ambitious is finding that, like, that level. It's like, how they can be emotionally, financially, ecologically, uh, relationshiply, all those things. Yeah. Being chill and ambitious about them all. Um, that's a question that's like really important that we ask ourselves about different things in our lives. Like whenever um, something's not going well, we ask, well, what part of it is not sustainable? And that's why I really like today's guest, um, Scott Jorgensen of Hercules Bees, because he... Um, He's not only ecologically sustainable and he's really worked to bring that into his life, but he's also figured out um, a sustainable business model that works for him. Right. And he had the courage to make that happen. And in order for him to do the sustainable business model, he had to more or less invent a way to keep bees differently. And he was told at the beginning that he couldn't do it and that, you know, or he wasn't going to make money off of it. And like all these reasons for why you couldn't, but he ended up making it happen anyways. And now he has a lot of bee cred yep. as a result. So yeah, um, really chill and ambitious. Definitely. So without any further ado, please welcome Scott Jorgensen of Hercules Bees. Welcome, Scott. Hi. Hello. Hello. Happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, we're happy to have you. So yeah, this is Scott. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so like we kind of talked about before, sustainability is in, um, really just about thinking in systems. And so it's the endurance of systems and processes. I was going to ask if you feel like sustainability has been, uh, a big part for your beekeeping. Oh, yes, yes, very much. And, and I guess it comes back to why do I do Hercules bees as a business rather than just for fun? Right. Um, we need to change the way we're doing things if we want to have a hope of, of a, a sustainable environment and get the same services from our environment that we rely on today, like clean water, enough food, um, yep. non-bizarre weather. And, you know, the beekeeping profession the beekeeping industry is is no different from all of that um and today's beekeeping industry relies on a lot of feed a lot of external outputs a lot of fossil fuel um to keep it all going and move all those bees around and there has to be a better way and uh 
regarding the honeybees, I wanted to give hobbyist beekeepers an alternative way to keep bees, make honey for themselves, improve their local gardens besides the industry standard. Um, oh, so you help people who want to be beekeepers as well as doing your own beekeeping. Yeah, I think my, my business is, is set up to get other people, mainly hobbyists, started in beekeeping. Um, my, my target customer would be um, a family uh-huh. or, or somebody who's just interested in bees, interested in bees. A chill and ambitious but bee yeah, <laughs> yeah, but somebody who doesn't really want more than five uh-huh. um, because I build my own hives, but I, I build a different model of hive that lays out horizontally instead of stacking vertically like you see in the farm field. So it lays horizontally. So it's designed um, for the beekeeper's pleasure. They don't have to heft these heavy, heavy boxes. Instead, everything is laid out. You don't have to bend over as much. So my my business, in my mind, is, is set to kind of decentralize uh, bees mm. to spread out the ecosystem services that bees provide because they without bees i mean flowering plants don't work if they're not pollinated and so if you like citrus fruits if you like uh apples if you like basically anything that we like <laughs> it, it needs to be pollinated so if we could have a hundred thousand beekeepers with five hives rather than five beekeepers with a hundred thousand hives that's that's a much better way so to, yeah, to help yeah. even farming and getting yeah. all the other food supplies as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that, though. I really yeah. think uh, on top of just, you know, things going more local, it just makes sense. There's all these just innovations, like whether it's 3D printing, mm-hmm. um, just for us with, you know, the Internet, too, and the information that can be passed on. I think there's a lot of opportunity for local manufacturing. And absolutely. We talk about hydroponics. And yes. Like hi- that. And aquaponics. And I actually aquaponics. had a conversation with you about aquaponics. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it gives us hope, though, because now we have we've been through factory productions and now we're getting the technology back in our homes and we can start producing again as individuals. The correct amount, yeah. how much we want. Yeah. It, the hope is there. I really yeah. think that the hope is there. And I would think it totally. reduced costs long term, right? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. For people. Well, and also that there's this idea that like, so sure, you're a base business and you're growing all the time and your goal is to continue growth. Mm-hmm. But like nobody ever wants to acknowledge that resources are finite. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, all the, you know, all the trees that are getting cut down, which are, you know, like eradicating some of the bee population. And then what happens when you need food in 20 years as you continue down this road? Like, yeah. you're going to have to eat soil. Well, wages gr- are going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're really. Soylent green. And you don't have as much time to work. Especially also- this country is too focused on a growth based economy. Yeah. yeah. If we can have a, a healthy economy with zero to 1% growth, yeah. but it, it sustains itself yeah. and everybody has enough wages, I think that's a great economy. We don't, we don't need for 8% growth um, all the time. Yeah, especially when that most of the growth, like manufacturing, whatever, comes actually out of, comes out of, it's from outside of this country. Absolutely. Right? Um, yeah, you don't need money if you, like, you don't, you wouldn't necessarily need money if you had, like, shelter and food. Directly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. The bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the...
you came upon beekeeping in the Peace Corps, right? I did. I was a environment and agriculture volunteer in the Peace Corps uh, in West Africa, a small little country called the Gambia. And among the different options I could do as an agfo volunteer, it was something that I was thought could really be a key to help the people there because the beekeeping season doesn't happen at happens after the main farming season. So in theory, at least, the, the people could farm and then could switch to beekeeping for more income generation for themselves. Well, I mean, and that's really like smart in terms of thinking of like a second life of like, okay, well, you know, you have this, this seasonal product, right? Then like mm-hmm. what happens when that season is over? Like you can have another seasonal product that kind of just fits in. Like it's a balance. Like makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so then you started beekeeping in the Gambia. And I asked, my favorite thing was I asked you during our pre-interview, why did you bring like beekeeping back to the U.S.? And you're like, bees are fun. Oh, bees are fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm having fun. Ain't I a lucky one? I mean, all right. So <laughs> yeah. What is this? You were saying you want to know how bad, the, how bad the bees in Gambia are. I wanted to, well, you know, like I how bad they sting? Like how vicious they were? Like I had heard stories of like, bee tornadoes just like you, you know you you, you you hear stories down in texas of the killer bees that attract attack a farmer on a tractor and, and sting him hundreds of times right so i wanted to know if that was that was for real so um during my did you like wait, send any like notes to like people like before you no in front of the bees where you're like mom i really love you dear mama Well, well, the <laughs> I know when I was like in a really training, brave thing. You're like, uh, I heard stories about how they killed people, so I figured I might as well just <laughs> sign up to to like hang out with them. They can't all be that bad, huh? Yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> so, so the whole um, incoming training group I was with, uh, we, were, we were in our training, and we uh, worked with this other uh, non-government organization that was all about beekeeping and beekeeper training in the Gambia. And so they take uh, the health and the environment groups down there. There's about 30 of us and they put us all in bee suits. And so we're putting on the full bee suit and we, we tie, we, we step um, our feet into rice sacks and we tie them with bits of um, rubber hose and put on thick vinyl gloves and tie those down too. And we all looked like we were getting ready to go into outer space. Um, <laughs> Sounds sophisticated. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you do what you can you with, do what you have. You got with what you have. <laughs> um, and after the first few hives were opened, yeah, I mean, there, the bees would, the, there, was, there was a sound that came up from those hives of, you know, 40,000 insects all zinging toward your head or towards your body. Or, and so you could, Eventually, they get tired of flying at you because they couldn't get through your clothing, and then they just land on you. So periodically, you could shake your your um, bee suit and just dump bees everywhere because they'd be a big clump on your head or your back. Oh or my something. god! But then, why did I do it back in America? Well, I bees are fun because it's really fun. You get to see how they organize themselves and how they build stuff. And then coming back to America, it's America. It has to be easier here has to be a better way. So 
And um, I'd always heard stories about uh, how people didn't have to wear um, as much protective clothing in America. And, you know, the different hives, I, I was learning on a top bar hive style in the Gambian. Out here in America, we have a different hive style um, used commercially. Okay. So I just wanted to see what it was like here. I had to give it a shot to know it. So it's easier because it's different kind of bees and they organize differently. Like uh, they're not as aggressive, I guess. They certainly, certainly they aren't <laughs> as aggressive. <laughs> um, they each still have a stinger on them. Yeah. But they have a much, much nicer temperament here because they've been, they've been bred for. Domesticated a yeah. little. Yeah. Bees, bees are definitely domesticated uh, species. Only in the jungles, in the forests are they or wild bees left but they're thoroughly domesticated and and one i think one of the parallels between america and the gambia is that um there are issues with uh, deforestation especially Mm -hmm. in the gambia they cut down a lot of their forests and naturally historically or bees live in trees Mm -hmm. that's why we have bee trees you know yeah um but if you cut all your trees down the bees have nowhere to live uh, same thing is happening here in the states. We're we're thinning our forests. Right. Um, we're not leaving enough open space for the bees to live, and so they find places because they're really smart. They find if there's a space, they'll find it, and they go into the little cracks in our buildings or under the hood of old cars or um, trash cans sometimes. Yeah. Um. So my my I got lucky in the Gambia. Um. I didn't have to go find bee trees but instead i would put out empty boxes underneath flowering trees where i knew uh foraging bees would visit and then they would see my box and then they would communicate back to the rest of them and i actually on the very first day i put out a bait hive the next day i had bees in it so i took that as a sign i was like i better better do this more (laughs) that's that's how i got started so actually um how many like people did you work with like um in the gambia you said that this was like for farmers half the year so how many people took this on because it sounds kind of intimidating uh in my in the village i was living in i got three men started in beekeeping mm-hmm. out of a village of about 350 if you said to me like the the way you just describe beekeeping in the gambia it sounds like I'd be like, fuck that. Like, no way I'm doing that. So oh, I'm just dude. curious how many people are like, yeah, let's cowboy these bitches. Like, let's do this. <laughs> Most people did say fuck that. Fuck this shit, I'm out. No thanks. Don't mind me. I'ma just grab my stuff and leave. Excuse me, please. Fuck this shit, I'm out. I mean, what was different then in the Gambia in America in terms of um, beekeeping? Well, r- when you're not getting stung in the face, mm-hmm. you don't have to wear uh, a, a face mask, right? And okay. if you're not wearing a face mask, you can see what's going on so much better. So you, I, I learned a lot more um, husbandry uh, techniques here. Okay. Um, identifying um, ju- just, just a lot more hands-on, a lot more face time in front of the bees here because they weren't trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could learn about how their food stores change over time and, um, what stage of the colony reproductive cycle they're in and how that corresponds with the year. Um, because 
bees bees are a very cyclical thing. They repeat the same cycle every year, but depending on the weather and depending on um, the bloom patterns of all the different plants that they forage on, every year is follows the same basic plan, but is is different in its details and its timing. So it's it's seasonal and has a structure, but it also adjusts to the specifics of the right. What's the biggest difference between? We talked a little bit about um, the difference between like beekeeping, like the way that you do, where you kind of let them sleep in the winter and like do their thing, versus like um, commercial beekeeping. So hmm. your question is, what is the difference? Is when you have a business with the bees. Um, it's, it's not, it's fun, but it's not all fun and games because that's your living. So, yeah, so you need to make sure that they produce whatever it is you're selling. If the, the pollinators, they don't really care about making honey because bee bodies collecting pollen on the trees is what pays the, pays the rent. So they are constantly feeding, um, feeding their bees and stimulating their bees and medicating their bees. So that the bees are constantly producing eggs and brood and more bees to go pollinate the trees. Uh, honey, honey producers um, may feed uh, sugar and and protein supplement and do treatments for the pests and disease um, in order to have the biggest population at the time of the bloom and get the most honey. Then they take all that honey and they'll feed bees um, sugar or corn syrup to to keep them alive through the winter. So they can, yeah, keep producing versus keep, doing the natural, yeah. like nap time, seasonal, whatever. Seasonal thing, yeah. So you're, like, you're manipulating, I guess, the yeah. Nature. cycle. Yeah, the cycle. It, to it continue it longer than it would have otherwise. Yeah. I read see this message that was, I think, posted on like my Facebook timeline wall. And someone was like, even flowers don't bloom all year long. And then it was like a comment about like the winter blues and how like we're just not as productive in oh, the yeah. winter time. Oh, yeah. And just thinking about like how we just like over caffeinate, we put all these stimulants into ourselves to like keep like pushing out work. But like, you know, maybe that's not really our natural cycle and uh, yeah. being okay with not being like 100% on our game. Yeah. What's it called? 365 Sad days a year. Seasonal Affectedness Disorder. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they advertise, you know, they advertise it on, on, on like. Did you get seasonal, seasonal depression? Sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They call it sad. Which I definitely might. It's funny. My roommate was like, "You get sads during the winter." I was like, "Everybody gets sads during the winter." Yeah. Like, what do you get to do, especially when you live in New York. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, there are all these commercials that are like. I felt stuck. I just couldn't shake my depression, so I talked to my doctor. He said adding Abilify to my antidepressant could help with my depression. Would you? Why don't you ask your doctor to highly medicate you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Side effects may include <laughs> cancer, death, like tumors, vomiting, bleeding from your eyes. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's very natural. No, I think we all need a time to, to rest. <laughs> well, every everything, every even plants need times to rest. The Honeybee Democracy. Like the Honeybee Democracy by Tom Seeley. By Thomas D. Seeley. I just bought it. I just got it. But um, but yeah, Scott told me that I should get it. Actually, we had a really interesting conversation mm-hmm. about it, about how you were saying like humans are becoming more like bees. I, I, yeah, I think they are. Um, because, 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, you could tell me your interpretation of my, that. My interpretation of that is um, humans are, are living in ever greater densities, right? Right. Uh, we were hunter-gatherers and we were Stone Age, Iron Age. Now we have cell phones in our pockets. Um, staggering densities. And, and we take it for granted that we don't, we can walk down a street and not be killed by another human um, or, 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 or beat well, up. And so, oh, <laughs> well, you yeah. know what I mean? Okay, yeah. So <laughs> for the, most, for the part. most part. And, and what that requires is us talking to each other and communicating with each other. Um, and it has to be easier all the time. And we have to really understand what the other person is trying to communicate all the time. So the bees being one big extended family, have a leg up on us because they can just rub antenna with each other and get all the information. Um, but I think that <laughs> since the okay. advent of the internet, we are becoming more like social in- insects. And uh, that, that's not a bad thing. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, and I love what you're talking about how like... We're more collective. Yeah. Collective yeah. Thought. yeah, well, that's kind of the purpose right? of, of this, right? It's like building like a community of people who are like-minded and kind of think outside the box. These, these are really funny. Um, I like them because when you can watch them and watch them at length inside the nest, you, you pull out the comb and, you, and you're watching them on the comb. Um, they communicate to each other uh, by vibration, by dancing on yeah. the comb and by smell. And so they'll communicate, say the, the directions to the, uh, flower or, or a hive place. They do a little dance. It's so cute. It's so cute. <laughs> but if, if one of them has gone to that same flower patch and the flower patch is no longer giving out nectar yeah, and the original bee is still dancing and telling other bees to go there, the second bee will headbutt it until <laughs> the original stops. And, and to say like, stop sending that signal, it's no good. <laughs> And so they, they are, they, it's not really arguing, but um, they police each other pretty well. <laughs> and that's amazing. They'll like, so cute. They'll like bite each other sometimes. <laughs> like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> we already heard that. Oh, they, and they. It's, that's just like two hours ago. <laughs> You're so late. Oh, Joe. Joe's doing that thing again. Joe's doing that thing again. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, you know, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah. yeah. That's so funny. I like what you you told me that like uh, that pride, like bees creating honey, is like an act of pride. Yeah, I think that's just like the coolest thing. Like even just like as humans, we all like want to create, and we always like struggle. But like it's kind of it's what they're born to do, right? Like there's like it's amazing that there can be like this this sense. Like, is there any way they show that pride? If you're a producer, like, what are we producing? What what do people produce? What's one thing people produce? This show. This show. You want you want a good show. Yes. You want a quality show, something that you can be proud of. Say, hey, look at, listen to my show. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, I think the bees are the same way, but they're they're looking for their their family, and that's that's a very very strong evolutionary thing. They want to see their genes go forward, and so if they have the honey. And they have all the pollen. They're going to be proud because they're going to raise a nice, healthy crop of young bees. So, yeah, so they so they maintain it really nice. I think that's like a sign of yeah when someone takes pride in their work. It's like 
they always want to do it the right way. They don't half-ass it, Mm-mm. you know, like they, like when you look at a kitchen that, you know, someone really, really takes pride in their work, usually <laughs> like it's cleaned very well and like everything's where it should be, I feel mm-hmm. like, and I guess bees are, seem to be driven towards that. And Everybody's, uh, cultures has always said like, oh, the bee is the creature of order. Yeah. The creature of cleanliness. Yeah. All that. That's funny. Which makes me, makes, which must make things um, more sustainable in some ways, right? So yeah. things that are more sustainable have a, like systems set up that yeah. like work mm-hmm. properly and you maintain them so that they work properly so that you don't have to deal with the, the consequences later. It seems like sustainability is usually something where you might have to put a little more time in at the beginning but it should pay off when it's actually running so that it's running more smoothly, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is the idea. Of That's that. the idea. That's of the it. idea behind yeah. it. Yeah. Hard work pays off. It pays off. It pays off. Say hard work pays off. So you do honey um, half the year. So, and then the other half the year, you have, um, you have a different job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have another career. And so do you ever see yourself growing this the honey into like the full time thing? Or you always kind of picture that you're going to be doing? Yeah, what's your half half? What's, dream what's, life? Well, that kind of gets back to um, growth, right? Uh-huh. Is is growth for growth's sake sustainable? And um, to, to answer your question, and the short answer is, I know that I'm always going to keep bees for my life. Mm-hmm. I doubt that it's going to provide even 60% of my lifestyle requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a, I have a job right now. I'm, I'm an apprentice for a plumbing company, residential service plumbing. And um, it'll probably be about five years before I've seen all there is to see and fixing all those different types of problems that can come up in houses built from 1900 through 2015. Mm-hmm. So, but once I, once I'm like a journeyman, maybe I could um, get my own state contractor's license. And then with the knowledge of a state contractor, uh, I could do structural beehive removal. I've actually worked for a guy for two years where all his business did was take bees out of the wall in your house or the wall in your business because the bees will find the best cavity. If it's there, if it's a quarter inch crack or bigger, the bees will find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been in my parents' uh, yeah, attic crawl space before. <laughs> I think three times, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they find the way always. Yeah, you got to seal it from them. Um, so I, I know how to do that already. And it's that itself is a seasonal business, but it's, it's um, fun. Yeah, and it's actually a, a dirtier job than plumbing is because the honey gets everywhere, um, and your all your equipment is sticky, and uh, <laughs> my wife would probably kill me. Makes <laughs> 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 such a mess time. all the time. Uh, <laughs> everything's sticky. The doorknobs are sticky. The bed sheets are sticky. <laughs> I can't live like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the goal. And um, I, I know that if I keep anywhere from 10 to 25 colonies, I'm going to have more honey than I'm going to ever need. And um, 
and so it doesn't need to, I, I don't want beekeeping to to turn a huge profit i don't want it to make me a millionaire but i i do want to grow it so that i get some fun money from it I think if I'm making more than um, more than sixty pounds a hun- I think my break-even point is right around sixty pounds of honey a year. And how much, like with what you have now, how many pounds of honey would you say you? Oh, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> this has been ca- this has been four or five straight years of the worst drought in recorded California history, and so this winter we finally have rainfall, and that's so big because. Um, rainfall is the single biggest factor in the size of the honey flow. And that's because if the soil has more water, then the plants' roots take up more water and then put more water into the flowers. So the flowers have more nectar and that makes more honey. So um, I really don't know how much honey I'll make uh, this year. Um, today I, I had, I think I can get probably 65 pounds from the buckets I pulled today. Um, I also, I give a gallon, a gallon of honey is like 12 pounds of honey. Mm-hmm. Every apiary landowner that I deal with, I give them a gallon of honey and a year for rent. Um, no, so you already pay honey. <laughs> so I already barter in, in what I produce. So that helps. That's awesome. That's very smart. My, I think my goal is 500 pounds this year. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I actually, um, like I bought honey. You did a Kickstarter. You're my one of my first customers, first supporters. <laughs> oh yeah, but, uh, you did a Kickstarter years ago. Like so, I knew I knew Scott um, because I was friends with his sister back in high school, and then um, he did a, a Kickstarter, and I was like, I want to buy honey. I'll buy some Kickstarter honey, mm-hmm. uh, and you sent it, and it was incredible. Like it was so good. Even my roommates, were like, where the hell is this from? Um, mm-hmm. I think you had a lot of uh, eucalyptus forage in it um, oh, at that, that time of year. Yeah. You get high off of that? No, like, don't they get like, the, don't eucalyptus like has a little... It's got uh, it's got some menthols and eucalyptols in it. Oh, menthol. Uh, um, plants. I thought plants it makes are them, like the claws angry. <laughs> huh? Doesn't it make the claws angry? Eucalyptus? Isn't that what they eat? Yeah, that's what they eat, and it makes them aggro. I, don't I know. thought they were aggro. Did you see? Oh my god! They have claws. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was because of the eucalyptus. Have you guys seen the video of the koalas? Get the koala that gets kicked out of the tree. We're gonna watch it after. Oh, it's no. my new favorite thing. Okay. It's my new favorite video. <laughs> um, <laughs> we always talk about my favorite videos. Um, but yeah, it was really, really, really delicious. And I was like, damn, this, this honey is like amazing. Um, but you can't get it all year. You can get it. In- you can't get it all year, but but that's the good part about it. Yeah, yeah. You because- wait for it. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you can have raspberry honey if, or probably blackberry honey because we have blackberries in all the creeks here. Yeah, you can get blackberry honey. You can get um, uh, fennel honey. It's, you know that big yellow weed that grows yeah, along yeah. the summer, and late yeah. summer. Well, that sounds interesting. It it tastes like licorice. It's yeah. really good. Fennel's good, yeah. Um, and eucalyptus honey is good, and uh, clover honey is just standard. Yeah, honey. Um, yeah, but it tastes so different and amazing. It's like, yeah, like 
that's the kind of like that you're like, mm, I'm going to eat this on my toast and like I'll use something else when I'm cooking because I don't want it, you know, yeah. waste it. But yeah, you don't need to go to Whole Foods and spend like $35 on Manuka honey or whatever the <laughs> hell it is. Like, don't need to. <gasps> Manuka honey. Go to your, lo- you know, go to your local farmer's market and pick it up. Because you got to know. Or beekeeper. Yeah. Or or beekeeper <laughs> at the farmer's market. Yeah, yeah. The beekeeper at the farmer's market. And that beak, oh, that, that makes me, you mentioned Manuka honey. Yeah. That makes me mad because um, a lot of honey in the United States is mislabeled. I would believe it. Yeah. Uh, especially Manuka honey because it commands top dollar. You can't judge a book by looking at the cover. You're not emphasizing growth, right? Mm-hmm. With your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but your business is largely uh, setting up people to do small scale, like very hobby, right? Hobby, mm-hmm. um, beekeeping. But do you think if more people beekeeped versus, um, you know, by supporting the the big industrial bee, is there any sort of like push to like kind of? <laughs> proselytize people in that way like and well, we gotta try don't we yeah yeah <laughs> and so like i mean there's obviously a point a threshold where you're like okay it's the market saturated but i would imagine it's not saturated yet at all like there's a lot of opportunity for people to um learn about beekeeping maybe find like simpler weight like how or- can people get into it on a small level without it like you know, becoming pretty much this is a big part of your life, it seems like. But say you just like want to have some, uh, you know, good honey and support this, but you also don't want it to like take up half your life. <laughs> so, oh, you and No like to make this show. Right? Yes. You like to produce this show. Yeah. You take pride from this show. Yes. I think that people want to take pride from the things that they do. Uh-huh. And if, if they can take pride in gardening or producing uh, clothing or producing something that they take pride in they it's 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 for the common good you know it's it's achieving the dream so if more people are exposed to beekeeping then they're just exposed they don't have to take it up but along with beekeeping can come gardening or or local food shed efforts and i'm i'm not really worried about um about oversaturating the environment with beekeepers mm-hmm. um, because there is a skill that's required to to keep bees um, year alive year to year and um, that skill is only learned by patience and and doing it for a number of years and being willing to lose a lot of colonies um, and get stung a lot and is there lesson number one yeah. this yeah. is how it feels you gotta to get, get you gotta get over well, that well, yeah. I, well I imagine that's your why it would be the most like daunting thing like like I like honey I don't have any interest in keeping bees yeah. but I would like love to buy honey from you know from you and all my local honey beekeepers yeah. right yeah. but you said that you know we could plant gardens and that would encourage the population it would help us out yeah, so like there, there are, and it would help you out, you know, like just as a person to have your own garden where you get to control your food source, you get to like have something beautiful too. Well, that's what have I was something beautiful. Thinking, I mean, there's obviously community gardens. Are there community beekeeping like that? Kind of set up structure, like 
Sometimes like? schools will have a demonstration hive. And yeah. in fact, in, in the Bay, more and more schools have a beekeeping hive or two. Um, but the way humans work, I, it's I, it's hard to share a beehive. Mm-hmm. Um, we get jealous. We get um, feisty. And then sometimes years are complete miserable failures. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really, it's, it's a really solo thing. It's it's a really solo or a family thing. It's got to have, I really think beekeeping is best when one boss controls it. Mm, mother bee. Yeah. Not just <laughs> democracy stuff that the bees can handle. The bees can handle that, but we're wired differently. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we can learn from them. If you're not measuring success by growth, mm-hmm. how do you have any indicators for yourself of like um, success then with your business and also like building your dream, dream life? Do you have like certain like, um, yeah. Yeah. Pillars or whatever that you're like, if I'm doing this, then I'm on the right track. If I'm keeping my bees alive without the use of chemical treatments to control disease, if I'm keeping my bees alive without the use of chemical treatments to control disease and pests, mm-hmm. I'm working towards a better thing. If I can keep my bees alive without having to feed them um, protein and uh, sugar supplements, mm-hmm. because I don't take all of the food that they make for themselves, I'm in the right direction because I'm lowering my inputs. Lowering my inputs doesn't mean I have it's just it's it's all it's all profit if you don't have any expense it's all profit so i i wanted to start the business to help other people get into beekeeping but also to develop treatment free bees um we haven't even talked about a huge thing in beekeeping yet which is they have a um a little parasite a, a, a mite called the varroa destructor um in the name already in the name because <laughs> That is the thing that caused colony collapse disorder in the 80s all the way through right now, through 2006. We're actually living in the post-colony collapse disorder. Uh-huh. And, and, and it's, it's still called colony collapse, but we're post-colony collapse. Um, the reason why this mite is so bad is, is it, it jumped species from the Asian honeybee to the European honeybee, which we all know the European. And when it bites onto a bee and sucks the larva out, it it provides a new pathway for viruses to enter um, the bee colony. And so instead of, it's just a new pathway. So the, the new viruses, new diseases are getting transmitted in novel ways and it destroyed beekeeping as an industry. As a result, we have a lot of heavy chemicals um, ah. in agribusiness to keep the beehives alive. In the 1970s, beekeepers would be like, why are you putting pesticides in the beehives? In the 1990s, beekeepers were saying, if this keeps my bees alive, I'll do it. Uh. And now between agribusiness, especially the almond industry in California, um, which last year was paying like $220 for a strong beehive in mid-February per hive, that's huge money. That's, 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 all the operating cost for a commercial pollinator is in that one crop and anything they make after that crop is profit. So I'm getting sidetracked, but um, good genetic bees without um, treatments that are still good to work, that still make honey, that's my goal. 
And if I can do that and make some money to pay off a car debt or something, that's, that's good for me. You know, for for sustainability, uh, the the key, I think the key for people to understand sustainability and to be able to live with sustainability has to come around to um, controlling their wants and 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 viewing things as a web of interactions mm-hmm. rather than a. I pay this to get that. Yeah, I mean, and that is a hard, slow process to to, to teach us all that. Yeah. And I, I'm as guilty as anybody else of of wanting it immediately and wanting the best and all the resources. And, um, the American way. But yeah, yeah. It's like on a daily, like we, yeah. we talk about, like life innovators are people who tailor their daily desires and lifelong passions. Like, what's your we talked a bit about your lifelong passions in terms of like how you see the world and what you would mm-hmm. like to see happen um, with sustainability. But I guess on a daily level, um, do you have anything that people or rituals or whatever, or just attitudes that you um, really find important in your daily? I think it's important to daily try, try, <laughs> to give a fuck. <laughs> Try to give a fuck. I mean, I don't shave every day. My room is a mess. My kitchen gets cleaned once a week, maybe twice. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I show up to work every day. Yeah, I'm on time, and simply, you know, you got to try. And and it's it's okay if if uh, your bees die or the one plumbing fitting just keeps springing a leak <laughs> and it's it's okay but you gotta stay with it until you, it's it's working or um or you feel like you can walk away and not be ashamed of it yeah um and just you know it's it's consistency um but no i don't i don't shave every day <laughs> <laughs> i sleep in whenever i can yeah and i think it's also important for me as a person to schedule times where I can totally degaff yeah. and um, get drunk. Get yeah. Chill. yeah. All right. That's your chill. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your superpower? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My superpower. I think it'd be uh, instant transportation. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was what, okay. Cause that's what be you. you like that'd be, Cause that's uh, time, right? I'm thinking more like the Harry Potter, like the apparition. Apparition. Oh, okay. Apparition. Oh, yeah, I wish I could apparate too. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> dope. That would be so dope. Um, that's awesome that you said that. <laughs> we were just trying out that question because we were thinking, we actually think that we all have superpowers, like actual superpowers in uh-huh. the sense of like a talent mm-hmm. or um, a skill or whatever that you feel like uh, that you offer offer the world. I like well, if I like to think that I can help people understand. I like to read. I have a pretty good picture memory, uh-huh. um, and I can learn from other. I can learn uh, orally hearing it. Um, that is impressive. 
I don't, I don't do well with that. Yeah, so I <laughs> I like to help other people learn things if I can because I get a um information pride from it. That's awesome. That's nice. What beat is there a beat that does that? Are they all do that, I guess? Um they all do that at some point or another in their lives. Yeah. They all do it because they all kind of go through the same um they all kind of go through the same progression of duties throughout their lives. But what's interesting is the queen, <laughs> the queen has one or one week or 10 days of just madness where <laughs> she is flying around and she, on a good day, she'll mate with three different drones on a very good day. She'll mate with seven. If she had a good career in <laughs> like that her. 10 days, yeah. <laughs> she'll hook up with like 30. Yas queen. Well, well, yes, well, this queen, good. Yes, queen, yes, queen, yes, queen, yes, queen. And and so what that means is she has all this incoming material, right? Yes, with okay. which to make um, daughters, and these these drones that contribute um their genes are all different and so the colony is groups of half sisters um some sperm will father this group of sisters Mm -hmm. so groups of half sisters so the the queens that have the most genetic diversity within their ovaries within their egg eggs um those are the colonies that can best respond to all the different illnesses that beehives encounter and all the different things that stress out beehives because they have the best genetic diversity within the hive. Sexy time. Good for diversity. <laughs> good for, good for, good for life. Good for life. Do they enjoy having sexy time? I think they, well, the drones do <laughs> their, their penis, their, it's not a, their endophallus is what the terminology is. Your endophallus their, is showing. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time it isn't until it explodes out. <laughs> and then uh I need a giphy of that. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then after it like literally sticks in her, they fall away and then the rest of the comet of drones like chases her and the next one goes and, and then they fall away. So so other beekeepers have um talked about how drones are like the worst lottery ticket players you could ever meet because every day they get up and they fly around and looking for a queen and only once in their life can they ever win and if they do win they die oh yeah because their penis breaks off right their endophallus their their penis breaks off wasn't it an exophallus because it is endophallus because it hides inside until they need to Mm -hmm. it's kind of folded around in their um, abdomen so is there like can can the can the queen bee be like I'm not feeling you specifically bye or no it's just like he just like He's he too. He's fast enough. He just. Well, so so they 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 fly around while they're mating, and they fly around at like twenty. She, the queen is not the strongest flyer, but the drone is nothing but muscles, eyes, and and, um, and a penis, and so it's built to chase down the queen. So only the fastest Flying dicks, literally. <sighs> okay, <have> nightmares. <laughs> or right. fantasies. <laughs> no, this is not fun. So, so only <laughs> this sounds kind of rapey, but only the strongest. Only the strongest, <laughs> fastest drones, which have had the best nutrition, you know, getting back to their development. Uh, only the strongest, fastest drones can catch the queen in the first place. 
to endophalliser. Endophalliser. And so that is one way in which bees' uh, biology has uh, given them a, a very a high rate of, of keeping the good genes. Okay. So you said you think that the males enjoy it? She will be queen. She would start a new colony with my babies. But I would die without my penis. Like, how do you know that they die right away? I'm male. I would bleed to death. Wait, so not, wait, not wait. ideal. Okay, for, for so it just stabs. Okay, so they the peens just stab. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm like really trying to figure this out. So you said that... B-Sex B- Essentials is a book by Lawrence... B-Sex Essentials <laughs> by Lawrence Connor. Okay. I'll lend it to you. It's right, got tra- pictures. It's got yes. dissections. Please, because I want to understand, yeah. is it stabbing her? Is there, Can three be in at the same time? She doesn't have a hole, right? It's just like they're like... I'm going to just like, like make a hole. It's, it's almost, is it like they're, they're like needles, like sticking her anywhere? Or is it like, oh no, there's a specific point of entry. There's uh, not, right? That I would imagine not, especially if you I'd guys imagine, are just like going a thousand miles an hour. No, I think, I don't like, think there is. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> not hundred percent sure, but she has a, she has an anus, but she, um, is the poop I think a, they have to stab her. Is poop the honey? Where's the poop? What's the poop do? Where does that become? Where does the bee poop go? Where does the bee poop go? It goes out. Yeah, out in the air. Oh. Um, so if you live in New York City, right? Yeah. There's beekeepers in New York City. Yeah. Lots of them. Yeah. And um, when it's so cold that the bees don't fly for all of winter, um, they're hibernating. Yeah. And then on the first warm spring day, uh, everybody's cars are covered with bee shit. Oh, that's what that is. It's like when it looks like like super pollen, like like yep. like that's there's shit. just like, like a little brown streak, and then you your windshield wipers don't get it off. That's bee shit. That's bee shit. That's bee shit. Bee shit. <laughs> wow. So they don't poop their pants when they die. Like you know, humans poop their pants when they die. Do bees poop their what? Bees? I really don't know. That's yeah, the thing. Human, All of them. I should ask. Humans defecate when they die. I don't know if it's immediately, like, on impact, but, like... Eventually, because they need to empty themselves, I guess. Yeah, the muscles loosen and everything. Yeah. You did. I got techniques tripping out my butt cheeks. Sleep on my stomach so I don't fuck up my sheets. Look, my shit is deep. Deeper than my grave, G. I'm ready to die and nobody can save me. Fuck the world, fuck my mom. Like, what were cut... So, like, so on this journey of, like, you know building this this your honey beehive right mm-hmm. and kind of like you had to i'm sure you had to tinker right like say like lots of tinkering yeah lots of tinkering so like what were some of the consequences of your journey like things that um you know most other beekeepers think i'm crazy <laughs> um uh-huh. because i heard a lot of um your idea won't work uh, I heard a lot of it in, in Peace Corps because you're trying to change people's tradition or, or open their I, I possibility of ideas and new kind of gardening, whatever. Mm-hmm. But here in America, I heard a lot of, well, you'll have your bees, but you won't be able to live on it mm-hmm. the way you are projecting. And, and they were more or less correct on the dollars and cents of it. Um, but I heard a lot of your bees are all going to die. You're never going to make any honey. Because of the way you were setting up your your system? Like the not... When, what, what did you call it? Like I, use a, I use a top bar style of beehive. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas 
95% of beehives in America use a system called Langstroth beehive or frame style beehive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Where you pull the things out. It's like, yeah, it's like a drawer and you pull out the file. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, People told me that uh, it wouldn't really work. And I was tinkering by myself for a year. And then um, it turns out that there is this crazy guy in North Carolina who runs a commercial pollination operation, 200 top bar beehives. And in 2014, he published a book about how he did it. And I got that book and um, I was like, this is the light. <laughs> this is my, and I read that it's a thick book and I must've read it 12 times. And um, You're thorough. I'm thorough, but I also, you know, this is the Bay Area. There's there's nine million people in this region. It's one of the um, most fertile regions in the world. So if there was ever gonna, it's a wealthy region. So if there was ever gonna be a place where I could sell this product, the customers are here, mm-hmm. and the ability to farm the bees is here. Mm-hmm. So I had to try, but it took a lot of tinkering. Did you like lose some hives or like, is there like a point where you were kind of like, shit, I really have to like readjust how I'm doing this? Um, I hit my breaking point last year in May. Um, I was, my, my parents are two wonderful people who um, cared for me since I was a baby up until I was like 27. <laughs> but I was, I was living at their house. I was yeah. um, trying to get this business off the ground. I had I had gone from zero hives to ten hives in the first year to twenty hives to you know I had and I had been making progress, but I wasn't paying rent, I wasn't paying my bills, and um, I was driving around all these beehives, bee yards, and I was making money on the side with the structural beehive removal, but I wasn't really moving forward, and I hit my breaking point right when I realized in the midst of this epic drought that we had. Are still in, by the way. Um, yeah, despite all the water. We're despite still in, all the water. We're still in a drought. That the way I want this to go just can't grow fast enough for what I need to do in my life right now. And so then also my my, my lover, she was going, um, she lived in a different city and she was going to move to the Central Valley. And so I moved to the Central Valley. And I started substitute teaching for a while, and then I became a plumber. That that like, I mean, that's really kind of brave, though, to say like, "Hey, you know what? This is what I want to do, but I'm also not going to give up on this other thing that I like." It's like I just have to supplement. Yeah, yeah, I have to offset it. And so I'm going. I'm going to keep it. I keep it. Well, that must have been a big victory for you that the be able to um, set up a. Going back to the actual flat, flat yeah. hives after people were like, you can't do it. Now I got all this respect. Yeah. <laughs> now I got this, I got this cred, bee. man. I got, <laughs> I spoke to the Alameda County Beekeepers Club last year. Yeah. In June this year, I am speaking um, to the Contra Costa County Club on the topic of natural and biologic based beekeeping. Uh-huh. Um, I write the newsletter for the Contra Costa Bee Club, which is one of the largest um, 
hobbyist beekeeping clubs in the country. We have about 400 members, 400 different um, families. Um, I, 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 I got some cred. Huh. Oh, I got three cred. Yeah. I got beef, don't care. And it <laughs> feels good. So I, I can't stop. Yes. I can't stop. I love it. No, I love it. Well, thank you for your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we learned a lot about bees. Uh, yes, yeah, so much. Oh, you're happy to be here. Happy yeah. to be here. <laughs> Thanks. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your stress. Well, so we just learned more than I ever thought I'd learn about bees. The birds and the bees. The birds. Well, none of the birds, but all the bees. Yeah, just all the bees. <laughs> bees and the plants. Bees in the trap. 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 So, what are what do you think are some of the takeaways now that we uh, we learned? Um, I really like how we. T- um, I really liked this idea of um, thinking about growth in a new way, like in terms of prioritizing. Um, you know, not needing this idea of like conventional, like infinite growth for an economy, but also just like the idea that growth, like what was more important for, for Scott was personal growth. Like he enjoys the beekeeping. He enjoys, and like ecology is really important to him. So it's like beyond a certain point, if the, you know, the growth becomes a detriment to the bees, then like that's no longer growth in his mind, you know? Right. Well, he was prioritizing the health of the bees. Yeah. And that they're going to be stronger and to grow stronger. And that's going to make them more sustainable than having weaker bees and having more of them. So it's like this quality over quantity and thinking about growth and being yeah. more quality. Driven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really like that. And I felt like that's really applicable to like really analyze what's the most important part of making or doing something. Yeah. Because we say sustainable and it's this loaded word and it's so like breaking down okay what what does it mean then or how what kind of things should we be thinking about when we're trying to make something sustainable uh another thing that i thought was interesting in terms of thinking about if something is sustainable is if you take pride in something yeah that was like a big one was like that comes with the care of um like we were talking about with the growth but right cuz you're He's like the bees take pride in the way they make honey. Yeah. And, and he takes pride in like his husbandry. His husbandry. <laughs> his bee husbandry. Um <laughs> but and how we take pride in this podcast. Yeah. And how we want to grow it the right way. And yeah. In the words of one of our uh life innovators from season one, Emily Fletcher, she always says, The way you do anything is the way you do everything. It's true. Um, and yeah, so when you come at something like with this approach of like wanting to do, a, you know, wanting to do your best and wanting to do a great job, that also plays into sustainability very much so because it's true. It's about care, like a careful craft. I just thought about it. Like, it's not that we're against growth because obviously we want as many people to listen to this podcast as yeah. possible. But and we we'd also like to make money on this podcast. <laughs> totally. But we don't want to prioritize that because one, it's not sustainable in that, like, if we just were like, I don't know. No, well, it's like, hey, I'm going to show my tits, you know? <laughs> and like, we got a bunch of like hits for that, but that's not what this thing is about. Like, it wouldn't be sustainable because that's not what this is actually about. Oh, she's yeah. Like, <laughs> that's 
like, show them where. This is an audio recording. I know, but, but we were like, Instagram, yeah. <laughs> listen to her podcast. It'd be like, this is not what I thought it'd be. And it would totally not be sustainable. Absolutely. And also <laughs> that if, if we sold ourselves short, then we wouldn't like what we were making anyway. Yeah. Right. Then it doesn't matter. And not that, you know, no, it doesn't take pride in that. Or my boobs. Right. But, but it's just not like <laughs> what this podcast is about. And we want it to be about being chill and ambitious. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know you to muddy up those waters, but okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're, yeah, uh, that was really cool. So, we wanted to talk about so, what are some barriers to sustainability? Right. Because, you know, that's where the ambition comes in. Because if it was easy, then it, then everyone would do it. Do and it, it wouldn't be that ambitious. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, I think it is tempting to take those shortcuts. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I think it's kind of like, well, I think you can also ask yourself, is this efficiency or is this a shortcut? Right. Like Cause sometimes because efficiency is, should be good if it's, if it doesn't conflict with the, with the quality. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> who was, who was telling me a story the other day about how their dad would always, make them uh break leaves growing up his dad would always make him rake leaves and he figured out if he just used the power blower like it would move all of the leaves to one side of the like to this field outside of their house and his dad always made him rake he was like no that's cheating you have to rake <laughs> and he made him do it and then he goes home now and his dad uses the power blower and he goes <laughs> Well, I just wanted to teach you a lesson, but <laughs> this is my <laughs> Do do as I say, not, not as, as I, I do. do. Um, parents, I know. <laughs> oh, that was my friend Eric who said that the other day, and I just oh. thought it was the funniest story. But um, that as long as it didn't compromise the act of it getting done, totally fine to use the power blower. But you know, you I guess you have to try both, right? That's part of efficiencies: trying it and seeing does it affect your end result. Um, right, and just to bring pride back in again pride i think as much as it can help figure out what is sustainable it also can be a hindrance in terms of uh say yeah the easier way is easier and then having some pride to like be like stuck with it be like oh well i guess like getting to stuck with one idea and being able to put your ego aside when there's maybe a better way to do it and admit that you're that you're wrong or they need to adjust your hypothesis. Cause I think he did that with, uh, wanting to build this sustainable business with beekeeping and doing it with his innovative, uh, beekeeping method. But he ended up having to supplement that with, uh, like, his substitute teaching and doing the plumbing and all these other ways and not getting too stuck on the fact that he needed to only have one passion. And have that be the way that he sustains himself. And he also integrated it into how, like, he's talking about, if he, you know, plumbing and using a general, getting a general contractor's license so he can start doing, like, bee removal. So, like... That's efficiency. That's efficiency, yeah. So, he adds that back, like, that, um, th like, he, there's this very holistic approach of, like, okay, well, I also have to work to make money and, you know, plumbing is a way that I'm learning, whatever. I will also, though, with the skills I've learned through that and being licensed, be able to add to my B business through that. So that's um, diversity too. That is diversity, which is very important uh, ecologically, especially, but um, just like in our systems, like as, uh, you know, community of makers is like, it's important to have other, you know, other makers doing things in a, a new way because it's always going to improve everyone's bottom line right for what it, they're and yeah bringing it together yeah uh, 
So um, <laughs> he was very, he was very good at that. Yeah. We also want, we want to, to get you to apply this to your life, to be able to start thinking about how you can make your, your life more sustainable the way that Scott did or the way that you want to. It's going to be different for you. Yeah. Um, like we said at the beginning of the show, we often ask, you know, whatever your, whatever aspect of your life, is it sustainable to you? Yeah. Um, so that's our question for you this week is to ask yourself, um, is it, you know, is it, is, are the things in your life working for you? What's sustainable and what's not? Um, another way of asking, is it sustainable to you is to think about what do you take pride in? Cause when you realize that you'll prioritize that and build around it. Totally. Um, so, uh, you guys liked how we summed everything up like that. We had like takeaway questions and everything. Yeah. We took your feedback from season one. Um, and so, yeah, we're making it better. We're making it better. And we're going to share more with you on social media. So everything, the, the Snapchat, the, the Twitter, the Instagram, everything is at chill ambitious. So, um, we'd love to hear feedback from those questions we asked you, if you want to share your stories or tell us what was sustainable to you or if anything that you found interesting, please shout us out. That'd be so cool. Yes. Uh, or through the website. We love it. We We'd love you even more. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, that's possible. <laughs> um, so yeah, stay plugged in. And uh, also, we want to, we, we like the feedback we got so much that we want to share some of it with you. Um, so this is a review, an iTunes five star Ooh, iTunes review that star. <laughs> that we received from somebody by the handle of use of neg shoe XU, I don't know, 1373. That's foreign. Yeah. Um, but this reviewer said, I look forward to running when I have a new episode. This podcast is the ultimate. Noel and Olivia. Oh no. Host Rad humans that chat about things we actually care about it's the most relevant relatable content i've heard in a podcast oh that's just literally the the nicest thing and the most um fulfilling thing because that's why we do it we want to you know we are inspired and we hope that you guys are inspired and learn and share um we just are so happy to have you as part of this community and so please keep sharing with us now yeah it's really rewarding when you find out other people care about these things though. Yeah, it's or not with, just us. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And I, I want to I went on, uh, I was like, you know, working on some of our stuff and we have like listeners all over the world and that's insane. So we want to keep, we want to, we want you to share, keep sharing, um, and keep letting us know what you think. And cause we want to keep giving you more. Um, so hell yeah, do it. Yeah. So do it. I'm O. I'm No. And we love you. Bye. Bye. Queen Bee, Queen Bee, please come back to me.